Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 10. We uh, have gotten through the sixth trumpet and we're waiting on the seventh trumpet to sound. Uh, There's been a lot of uh, judgment falling upon the inhabitants of humanity uh, with the, the judgments that are associated with the sixth angel. Uh, and uh, the trumpet that's been uh, uh, sounded, and and also the uh, the bowls, uh, and so we come to chapter ten, and it's a little different. This is in many ways an interlude. Uh, Look with me in chapter 10, and it says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth. And he cried with a loud voice, and when, uh, as when a lion roareth, And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand uh, to heaven. And swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein, and the earth and the things therein there are, and the and the sea and the things which are therein, that which should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me, saying, and said, Go and take a little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the hands of uh, the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. And so... What we have is is a section of Revelation that many people kind of skip when they're going through this um, because they have a hard time understanding what this is all about. This is kind of, uh, some would say this is kind of like a placeholder. It is uh, things that happen that don't uh, have a whole lot of relevance to what is occurring in the tribulation. This is all occurring to John, um, but 
I'm a thorough type of person. I have a real hard time of skipping. Uh, uh, I, I, I just really... Uh, I'm, I'm supposed to be here trying to help you to understand what's written in Revelation. And if I just skip over a big section, uh, what does that say? It says uh, nobody knows what this is about and uh, we're not going to talk about things that are hard to understand. Well... For the most part, a lot of Revelation is hard for a lot of people to understand. So we're going to go through this, and it's not necessarily going to have uh, huge implications in, in terms of what is happening in the book of Revelation in terms of the tribulation, but I still think that it's something that we need to cover. First, we see an angel, a great angel, that is uh, descending in the midst of all this that's going on. Uh, you have a third of the seas that are being destroyed. You have all these people that are being uh, uh, destroyed. Uh, all these uh, rivers and waters that are turning to blood because of all the destruction. All this stuff that's happening. And then all of a sudden, it's kind of like the brakes are put on. Uh, I tend to believe that it has a lot to do with the fact that uh, when so much is happening, it's hard to grasp the whole scope of everything that's happening if it keeps happening one after the other. I liken this to the... Uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the modern movie-making process. In these shoot 'em up, bang bang type movies that my kids like to watch, and and uh, that a lot of young people tend to like to watch, they like to see all the stuff that's happening, and there's stuff that's blowing up, and and the movie making process has gotten to be to the point where there's all this stuff that's going on. Uh, one movie that is very much like what I'm describing are the the Transformer movies. Now I uh, I'm not a big fan of all this stuff, uh, but uh, one thing I noticed is is I'm getting really old. Okay, <laughs> I'm getting old, old because I, I see all this stuff that's happening on these. Um, Thing, these big transformer dudes that are going along and there's all this stuff happening and I'm having a hard time keeping track of who's the good guy and who's the bad guy because there's all this stuff that's going on. This just All these things are moving and, and, and morphing and all that kind of stuff and there's no clear delineation between the good guys and the bad guys. They're just, there's just a whole big mass and, and the movie making process they're just going really, really fast and, and all this stuff is happening and it's kind of hard to understand. Right in the middle of, of all that that's going on the movie makers will stop and they'll have a dialogue between two people that are hiding out or something and it's all to help the audience to kind of catch their breath to kind of absorb all that's going on, that if you keep moving and if you keep going and at that pace and you see all this stuff that's happening, then even when you're younger, you have a hard time keeping up with stuff. And so what they do is they stop for a moment to kind of let it all sink in and all kind of absorb. And what we have is two, uh, 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 they call them, uh, different things, but what it is is it's just two little stories, two little uh, uh, interludes into the the events that are happening to kind of let you uh, to grasp the the importance of what is going on, and also to help you to kind of absorb all the things that are happening. 
So John sees an angel that that descends. A lot of people want to say this is Jesus. This is not Jesus. Um, but the reason that they confuse this angel with Jesus is because no other being described in the Bible is described with such uh, with such grandiose. Uh, descriptions. This angel has a rainbow over its head and it's descending in the clouds. It's all reminiscent of Jesus when He was lifted up out uh, uh, into heaven uh, at the end of Matthew. And it's all a lot of, of symbolism to kind of show you uh, some things, but they kind of misunderstand who this angel is. It says that the, his face is bright and shining and his legs are as like pillars of fire. These are all indications of his importance to God, that he is coming from the very presence of the throne room of God, uh, very similar to Moses as he's described when he comes down off Mount Sinai and the people see his shining face and they say, cover your face. We can't bear to look at your countenance because you have the glory of God shining from your face. This is very reminiscent of that. This angel is as if he's coming from the very uh, presence of God and He's coming with great authority and He's coming with a message directly from the throne room of God and He is coming with a scroll in His hand. Now, we're not told what the scroll has, uh, but we understand from what happens uh, the importance of the scroll. So John says, this great and mighty angel that descends, uh, he's clothed with a cloud and he has a rainbow upon his head and his face is as shining as the sun and his feet uh, and his legs are as a pillar of fires. And he has this little book open and he sets his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the land. This is uh, very. Uh, this is also symbolic in that the angel is intended uh, to be based on the illusion of uh, what we find in Daniel chapter twelve. Uh, turn back there to the Old Testament, if you will. Keep your hand in Re- Revelation and look at Revela- uh, Daniel chapter twelve. Uh, and uh, let me just say that uh, Daniel is a apocalyptic. Uh, book and so is the book of Revelation. So uh, there's a lot that you need to to understand and you really need to study Daniel along with uh, Revelation because a lot of the things that are mentioned in Daniel are also mentioned in Revelation. But in Daniel chapter 12 verse 5 it says, And then I, Daniel, looked and behold there stood another two uh, the one on the side of the bank of the river and the other on the side of the bank of the river uh, on that side. And one said to the man clothed in linen which was upon the waters of the river, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen which was upon the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to the he- unto the heavens to swear by him that liveth forever that it shall be for a time, times and a half uh, when he shall have and accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And so really, uh, in Daniel, it's believed and understood that this is all a revelation related to 
the time in which the people of Israel will be able to return back to the promised land and to be restored. And in many ways, uh, many of the people of Israel uh, who read these Jewish people who originally read the book of Revelation saw uh, what was happening in Revelation also as the final battle that allowed Israel to return to its promised land. A lot of the uh, a lot of Israelites, a lot of Jewish people to this day are still looking for the Messiah that is to come. Now we talk about Jesus as being the Messiah and and many Jewish people who accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah, as their Savior are called completed Jews because they uh, finally come to the understanding of Jesus as the Messiah that was promised throughout all of uh, the Old Testament Scripture and and they see Him as uh, the Messiah that they've always looked for and that they've always waited for. And so um, this book of Revelation, for many, for us, it is a message of the end of times when Jesus will return. And for many Jewish people, the, the book of Revelation was seen as a time in which the Messiah would come and destroy all the the uh, people who opposed Israel and allow the Jewish people to come and, and establish the kingdom under the divinic uh, rule uh, that they've always been looking for. Now we see that uh, in a different light. We see uh, the book of Revelation as the completion of God's plan, the Messiah who already came and the return of the Messiah who would come and establish His kingdom on earth for all eternity. And um, so... There's those kind of mixed understandings. And so uh, we see the the link between Daniel and the link between Revelation. And uh, this section here in Revelation chapter 10, going back there, uh, verse 2 in chapter 10, where it says that the angel stood with his foot on the bank and his foot upon the sea. This is also an image that many of these people would have understood. Uh, there was a great, uh, one of the wonders of the world. It's called the Colossus. Is anybody familiar with the Colossus? Uh, this was a giant statue that uh, had its feet on two sides of a river that uh, many ships would, uh, it was so tall that many ships would sail uh, between the legs coming into port. And uh, it stayed uh standing for for 317 years no it stayed standing for a very long time and then uh after um an earthquake in 224 BC uh it laid in ruins for 312 years uh and it was 105 feet tall okay so it's a very tall structure uh, and uh, so it is this imagery of this colossus uh, that was uh, created by uh, Charles of Lindos uh, that was destroyed uh, that they are kind of looking at as being a image found uh, with this angel. Um, and he holds the 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 book uh, in his hand. Now this book we've seen in Ezekiel. If you want to look uh, back in Ezekiel, uh, let's see, 
we were just in Daniel, if you go back a little bit further to Ezekiel chapter 2, you'll read of the encounter that Ezekiel has with God in which an angel approaches him with a a book that he's instructed to eat, and it is a book of prophecy that he is to prophesy to the people. Uh, this is uh, a another link. Now Ezekiel is in a pro- uh, uh, also has is a book of prophecy, and and so we see this link between these uh, two Old Testament scriptures, and John is told that. Uh, by the angel that he, or by voice from heaven, that when uh, there's seven thunders that occur, here's another number for you. It's a number of completion. It is thunder. This is, uh, this is. These are things that are occurring from heaven uh, that is happening uh, on earth. Uh, the reason we can say it's happening from uh, coming from heaven is because uh, seven is a number of completion, and that that is its association with heaven. And there, uh, these seven thunders and voices that John hears, and he's told by the voice from heaven not to write down the things that are happening uh, with these seven vo- uh, seven thunders. So, how do you describe something that? We don't have a record of. We don't know what's happening. Uh, uh, what is speculated is is that these uh, thunders are proclaiming uh, judgment from God. These seven uh, thunders are uh, proclamations from God. Uh, and so John's told not to share those things, but he's told that he is to go and to take the by this. He's told by the voice from heaven to go and take the little scroll out of the hand of the angel and to call the angel over to him and take the little scroll and to eat it. Okay? Again, this is symbolic. uh, Like in Ezekiel, he is to eat the scroll and it is to be sweet as honey in his mouth and bitter in his stomach. Did you ever wonder what that meant? Um... Most likely, it meant. What'd you say? I mean, uh, why would it, it be that way? Right. Why would it be that way if it if it didn't mean something? There wouldn't be any reason for it to be described that way if if it didn't have some kind of significance. Um, what I believe it means is that uh, he is to to go and profess. And right after that, he's told to go and to profess a prophecy to the people. He's to go and to share a prophecy. I believe the scroll is the prophecy of God that the reason it's sweet in his mouth is because he is, he will, uh, it is a, a message that he is to, to share and that he uh, is going to share, but it because it is sour in his stomach, it's going to be a prophecy that's going to be hard to take. It's going to be something that that he is going to to uh, oh, I don't want to say enjoy. We we talk about sweet. I, I don't know about you, but I like sweet stuff. I know I'm not supposed to eat it, but I I enjoy sweet stuff. And every once in a while, even while I'm uh, trying to cut down my weight and everything, and try and lose weight. Every once in a while, you got to have a little something sweet in your mouth, even if you're not supposed to. Just a little morsel. Uh, Robin and, and Isabel and the girls they love 
uh, this trail mix stuff. And, and I always thought when I was a Boy Scout and we had trail mix, it was stuff that was supposed to give you some energy while you were camping, while you're hiking, and it was meant to, to fortify you until you got finished hiking. And we would always hike three miles in from where we left off uh, before we'd make camp at least three miles. And so trail mix was intended to try and help you to get that little bit of energy while you were uh, fording the river or while you were uh, uh, crawling over down trees that had crossed over the pathway. And it was to give you a little bit of energy when you're really tired with your pack being heavy on your back and everything. But they eat this trail mix that's got chocolate morsels in it and all these other uh, caramel morsels. And I'm thinking, that, that's, not, that's not trail mix. It's just candy all mixed together. But uh, every once in a while I have to get one of those little morsels of chocolate just because I need something sweet in my mouth. Uh, it's not meant to make me full or anything like that. And sweet in your mouth always seems to be something that's associated with enjoyment. Now, I think the only reason this is sweet in his mouth is because he is uh, doing and accomplishing what God desires for him to do. It is, it is sweet. Uh, it is described as sweet in his mouth because he is fulfilling God's commandment in his life and he is sharing what God wants him to share. But it's sour in the stomach because it is, it's most likely a prophecy against the people that he loves. It's most likely a prophecy that he doesn't uh, particularly um, enjoy having to share. And so uh, John is, is sharing this prophecy and he's doing this, uh, this stuff as he is being uh, 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 instructed by God. And he's making this prophecy, maybe it's against the nations and the kings or it's denouncing wickedness who've uh, not responded to the Christian gospel. It's a lot of different things that it could be, but it's not specific in that we don't know exactly what that prophecy is yet. It may be included in what we see in the next uh, sections of Scripture, uh, but for now it's just kind of left there. And it's kind of odd that it it kind of just is plopped down there in the middle of all this action other than to give us pause. Now the next section of Scripture is, is chapter 11 and it's just as unusual as chapter 10. Uh, we don't really have a whole lot of time to get into it. We'll kind of look at it next time we look at this. But it involves two prophets that come and they uh, come and stand before the temple. The problem is, is that this most likely is happening happening in John's day, uh, uh, most likely after the temple has been destroyed in Jerusalem. So many of them say, well, how can this be uh, something that's happening in John's day? Well, this section of Scripture in chapter 11, look at it if you will, if you want to between now and the next time. Read over it. It goes from uh, future tense to past tense a couple of different times. And so it's kind of unusual. And uh, so that kind of plays into that. Uh, most likely it's referring to not the temple that happened uh, to be in existence during Jesus' day, um, but most like, or the temple that was destroyed in 70 A.D., but most likely uh, a temple that will be in Jerusalem uh, in the last days. And 
right before the tribulation is to occur. And many believe that the temple uh, in Jerusalem is to be refurbished and rebuilt uh, before the events of the tribulation occur. Uh, so, uh, and they may get that from this passage of Scripture in chapter 11. But we'll unfold all of that. We'll look at it in detail <coughs> as much as we can. But regardless of what it is, uh, you know, what can we say about today and about our relationship to God in studying chapter 10? Well, we can say one thing for sure. Uh, in spite of all the things that are happening in this world, no matter what happens in terms of war or whether it's Cold War or Hot War or whether it in terms of, of conflict that's happening uh, throughout uh, in our own nation or throughout the world, it all points to the fact that God's in control. God is in control of all things. In the middle of all the, the turmoil and all the tumult that's happening in the book of Revelation with all these uh, things that are happening, uh, God kind of puts on the brakes and stops everything for uh, these two chapters and kind of uh, halts the momentum of all the things that are happening. Is uh, Again, why is that? Uh, well, a lot of scholars speculate that this is giving time for the people uh, that lived during the time of the tribulation, a time to absorb all the things that are happening and to give them time to repent. Uh, you know, when your child does something wrong and you uh, tell them that they're going to get a punishment and uh, during the punishment, a lot of a lot of sobbing and a lot of crying happens, and a lot of times it's sobbing and crying because they know it's coming, and a lot of times they're sobbing and crying because it is happening. It, their punishment is in the process of happening, but you hope that in the process of punishment, that your ch the whole reason for punishment is is to have that child to learn from their mistake and to decide that they will never do whatever it is that you're punishing them for again. And uh, it's very likely that this passage of Scripture is giving time for the people that are enduring the tribulation during this time to give them an opportunity to see all the things that are happening and to give them a chance, those that remain, an opportunity to repent from the evilness, evil ways, their wickedness, all the rebellion that they've been doing. Against. Uh, remember, all this that, that has been happening uh, has been there's been descriptions of peppering of, of how the people uh, that are experiencing all of this are not repenting. And in spite of the fact that they're not turning back to God, God still gives them an opportunity to turn back to Him. And in spite of all of that, and, and look, it's just like Pharaoh, as uh, the children of Israel are trying to leave Egypt, a lot of the things that happened in the life of the Israelites during that time is mirrored in a lot of things that happened in the New Testament. And during that time in which uh, the Egyptians and Pharaoh and all of his people were experiencing the plagues, and remember uh, one of these chapters kind of mir mirrored uh, a lot of the things that happened with the uh, plagues during Egypt, it was, uh, there were times in which Pharaoh would repent and say, okay, I'll, I'll let y'all go and y'all go, and then he would turn his heart, his heart would turn 
dark again and he would say no we're not going to let you do it and then another plague would have to come all those times God knew that what would happen with Pharaoh's heart he knew that in spite of the fact that he was saying oh yes we are sorry we'll let you go that he was going to turn his heart against the Israelites again and not let them go but yet God allowed Pharaoh the opportunity to repent and in spite of knowing that they that he would not repent uh, and ultimately they had to go through ten plagues God still allowed him the opportunity to turn away from his evilness and allow God uh, allow the children of Israel Israel to leave. In the same way, God knows what's coming. You know what's coming because you've read through Revelation before, or you are reading through Revelation. You know more. Uh, more tribulation is coming, more trumpets will be sound, more punishment will occur. But God stops and allows mankind the opportunity to repent. God knows that many will not, but He's waiting for the few that may. God is, and that shows the grace and the mercy of God. And in spite of the fact of how evil and how uh, uh, Wicked the heart of man is, God still yearns for mankind to turn to Him. That's a testament of God's love. That's a testament of God's uh, grace, God's forgiveness, God's willingness to, to share forgiveness to mankind. And in spite of all the fact that He knows that what is coming and the fact that man will not turn back to Him, He still gives mankind the opportunity to repent. That shows God's willingness to allow man the free will to choose. Because if He didn't give man the free will to choose, He'd just come in, obliterate all of mankind, and say, they weren't going uh, to come back to forgiveness anyway. They weren't going to turn to me anyway. I'll just, just wipe them all out at one time. No, God's giving uh, the, the opportunity for man to repent. And that'll seem be seen especially in chapter 11 where overtly God is giving the opportunity for repentance for man. And overtly mankind rejects God. So we'll jump into that next time.